Savannah State University began a new era earlier this summer when the Georgia Board of Regents named Kimberly Bauer Washington the school's president. The job is one of the most high-profile in the city, given the affinity of Savannians, particularly those in the African-American community, feel for SSU. Bauer Washington is our guest on the Difference Makers podcast. digital team at savannahnow.com, this is Difference Makers, a podcast featuring interviews with Savannah's community leaders about what they do, how they do it, and why. I'm Adam Van Brimmer, opinion editor and host of the Difference Makers and its sister podcast, The Commute. Joining me for this episode is someone highly scrutinized over the last two years, Savannah State President Kimberly Bauer of Washington. She was brought on as SSU's interim president in July 2019 and was thought to be a temp just as she'd done previously when Fort Valley State and Albany State were between presidents. But along the way, Bauer Washington fell in love with SSU, and SSU's notoriously fickle alumni and faculty fell for her too, leading to Bauer Washington being named the permanent president back in May. Bauer Washington is our latest difference maker. Here's the interview. Pleased to be joined on this episode of The Difference Makers by Savannah State University President Kimberly Bauer Washington. I appreciate everybody tuning in. We, of course, have taken a little bit of a summer sabbatical. And uh, who better to get us going again in terms of Difference Makers than the the new president of Savannah State? And I'm making the quote horse of my fingers because she's not really new. She's been here a couple of years now, but on an interim basis and uh, earlier this summer, Yes, this summer, this summer was went ahead and got the the permanent position, and of course, uh, school starts here in the next couple of weeks. So it's a really good time to talk to her and talk about what's going on at Savannah State and and talk all about particularly higher education in the post COVID, which maybe we shouldn't say post COVID, but we're hoping that is post COVID very soon. But before we get into that, I'm going to start where we always do with the bio, and um, of course. Madam President, it was, uh, you know, everybody kind of, we had a little bit of your background. You came down from the Atlanta area. You'd been working in the University System of Georgia for some time, and you came to Savannah State. But take us back farther than that. We want to get to know a little bit about what influenced you, where you grew up. Where where did you grow up, and did you always see yourself in a uh, in a presidential role? So I'm going to start with the the last comment first. No, (laughs) I never saw myself in a presidential role. Um, And so this, this was not a career path that I sought, Mm -hmm. never dreamed of, thought of, but very thrilled Mm -hmm. to have um, the, I grew up in Montezuma, Georgia, which is a very small town in what I like to call lower middle Georgia. Um, And very, very near America's Georgia mm-hmm. and Fort Valley mm-hmm. and daughter of an educator mm-hmm. and a funeral home director. Okay. So okay. it was an interesting mix right. in my household, right. and, but education was definitely always a key mm-hmm. with my family. My mother pushed it, not just when she was in front of her students, she, she did it in our community. She taught in a, in a different county, she taught in the county where she where she um, was raised. Right. And um, but in our community, she was she constantly taught to the students, um, and I, I say students to the community mm-hmm. about education and and the need. So for my sister and I, going to college was not an option. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of kids, particularly in the eighties, mm-hmm. um, in a small town that had a high level of poverty, mm-hmm. a lot of students were not going to college. So, you know, I, I was around friends that that was not in their trajectory. Right. And I remember having some conversations with my mother and she's like, I'm sorry. No, that is not what you, you need to do. You will be doing this mm-hmm. every time we, I, my sister, I don't think ever, ever, um, swayed from what she wanted to do. She decided when she was like three years old, she wanted to be a doctor. Oh, wow. And that's all that we ever heard. And she's a doctor. Right. I uh, I went in and out, you know, mm-hmm. 
wanted to do be a news person, mm-hmm. or, you know, wanted to be a politician, mm-hmm. wanted to be a lawyer, went in and out of these type things until I was about uh, 12 years old. And I decided fairly certainly that I wanted to be an attorney. Mm-hmm. I wanted to help help people that couldn't necessarily represent themselves. Right. And, um, and so that's kind of how I got into higher education to mm-hmm. a certain extent. I um, Blending those two. Blending, yeah. Yeah. Um, and never, never really saw that coming, but, um, when I was in law school, I took several classes and I don't know how I happened to like the professor. And so I took a couple of his classes, uh, that, that dealt with higher ed Mm -hmm. and I was in, and regular education law. So that became an interest of mine, had a cousin who, is hearing impaired. Mm-hmm. And she and her mother were going through a lot of strife because she was being placed in special education classes. Mm-hmm. And with in that in a small county, what they were doing at that time is every person with a special need right. was being placed in the same in the class, same class. Mm-hmm. Whether regardless as to the severity, regardless as to the mental component, the you know, the the IQ level and so mm-hmm. forth. And she is a very um, gifted young mm-hmm. lady, mm-hmm. but she can't hear. Mm-hmm. She can't speak. Right. But she is um, very knowledgeable and very, very capable. Mm-hmm. And so recognize that there was a need because it was just for our area. It was like just a given that, okay, this is what we do. Right. We go over there. And so that kind of got me going. So I expected at some point that I would want to work in, in with the K-12 programs mm-hmm. in law. Mm-hmm. And the opportunity have presented itself for me to work in higher ed. Mm-hmm. When my first summer intern during law school was at the University of Georgia, mm-hmm. Legal Affairs. Mm-hmm. And that honestly, probably has made all the difference. I really never left. I stayed in higher ed the entire time that I um, worked in in the legal field. And that actually is how I got to Savannah Mm -hmm. and Savannah State University. My introduction to Savannah State was probably in about 2002. Mm -hmm. I was a lawyer for the University of Georgia. And there was a there was a case going on here at Savannah State. And the oftentimes when those things are happening, the Board of Regents will ask other lawyers from around the state to come down and help with various things. Mm-hmm. And I came down and worked on that case. Um, that is when I met former Mayor Johnson. Mm-hmm. Um, he was an administrator at right. the at Savannah State at the time. I'm sure he doesn't remember the, the young lawyer <laughs> that was there, but I remember him. And um, But that was my introduction to Savannah State University and had no idea at that time that I would be here um, on a permanent basis. I'm very happy to, to be here. But uh, also, that was also an introduction to the love and care that Savannah shows. Sure. My husband was working out of town at the mm-hmm. time, out of state. And um, so I said it was 2002. It couldn't have been 2002 because I had two children. It mm-hmm. had to be 2004. Okay. Um, I had a baby and a four-year-old. Mm-hmm. And so I came down to work in that case. I was here for about a week. I stayed in residence hall, which I now think is off of White Hall Road. Mm-hmm. I said residence hall. I'm sorry, residence inn. Residence inn. <laughs> residence yeah. inn. I, was say, I hope they didn't make, a, make you stay in no. the uh, dorms with the students. <laughs> no, the residence, residence inn. And I, because um, I needed to have a place that right. was somewhat, um, yeah. you could take care of take children. Care of kids, right. And, um, Found a daycare right down the road, mm-hmm. um, enrolled my children in daycare, mm-hmm. and it worked. Right. Um, this was, it, I remember people in my office at UGA were like, you're going for how long? And mm-hmm. 
what are you doing? Who's traveling with us? Like, yep, I got it. I'm going to make it work. You, you make it work. And yeah. um, so Savannah, the city of Savannah helped me make it work. Um, that business, which I can't remember the name of the daycare, but that business helped make it work for yeah. me so that I could do the job that I needed to do right. at that time. But that was my introduction to Savannah and Savannah State University. Mm. Um, didn't return for quite a long time after mm. that. Um Worked, continued to work at the University of Georgia for the next probably five years. And then the um, one of the lawyers at the University System of Georgia Board of Regents office mm-hmm. um, was retiring. And I um, got a call asking if I would be interested in, in coming to work there. I was one of the lawyers in the system that really I worked, even though I was at University of Georgia, I worked at different institutions on different cases periodically. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I had a relationship with them and was very glad to get that call mm-hmm. because I always thought that I loved University of Georgia, small alma mater, um, mm-hmm. undergraduate degrees from there. But I thought that um, there might be a different calling and working mm-hmm. at more working and giving legal advice to a um, varied, mm-hmm. varied audience um, of institutions, different institutions would, would serve me well. You know, um, many of our colleges and universities in the university system at that time did not have lawyers. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, okay, this, this is probably where I'm better suited mm-hmm. because again, I like to help those that need help. Mm-hmm. And um, so I thought that that would be a really good thing. And um, my interactions with all the universities and university presidents, I'm guessing it kind of led me to, to this role in the 2013 Never thought about serving as an interim president, never thought about being a president um, previously. But um, then Chancellor Hank Huckabee called me one afternoon when I was actually picking up my daughter um, from summer camp uh, and and said that he needed. um, Well, I got a call from his uh, his assistant wanted me to come in the office. I'm like, I'm already out, (laughs) you know, Um, and so he's. She's like, well, he wants to talk to you. So as she was getting in the car, um, talking to him, and he's saying that he needs someone to go and serve an interim role, short-term interim. The president had been named at Fort Valley State University after a search, mm-hmm. but there was going to be a gap from when the former president left and the new president came in and wanted to know if I could go and serve as interim. And he needed me to go it was like july 1 i'm like yeah sorry no thank you uh, mm-hmm. i would love to do that but i can't go at that point mm-hmm. um I, I was like i have family ob- obligations at that point my my oldest daughter um played exposure basketball and um she was quite young then but my role with her and her team I was the team administrator, didn't coach because right. I can't play, right. but um, they depended on me to make sure that they were properly registered and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. And they had a big AAU tournament coming up in Florida and they're in so it's like, I've got to be there to do what I have promised all these parents and students, kids, players that I would do for them. And so it's like, I can't do it. And uh, I was like, but I could do it the next week. He was like, Kimberly, <laughs> I need you to go. I was like, uh, am I hearing that I have to? Cause I, you know, and, I, and he's like, yes, I need you to go down. You, you know, you've worked with the campus, you know, this. And so, yeah, I need you to go and do this. I was like, okay, let me figure out how I can make this work. Mm. And um, it, it worked. Um, of course he didn't know exactly how I made it work, but um, I drove down with the girls and the coaches um, on a Sunday, Saturday, Sunday, and um, probably Saturday. And then I, five o'clock on Monday morning, I 
got on a plane yeah. <laughs> and mm-hmm. came back and registration mm-hmm. was that Sunday evening. Mm-hmm. Um, and so got them moved into their facilities, got them uh, all lined up um, and did the, did their little registration, which is sometimes uh, an issue. Sure. With AAU, you know, they want you to prove that each girl is who yeah. she says she is. Yeah. The right age. And, yeah. the right age and all that kind of stuff. They ask odd questions. They were like, we need you to, the girls were very concerned mm-hmm. that if I wasn't there, that, you know, there would be a problem. So um, I, um, we, it may, it worked, but mm-hmm. you know, as a parent, uh, you do what you need to do to take care of the things you have to take care of for your children, for your, um, for their friends, their teams, and but also for work. And so right. we made it work and um, had a great, great time during that. I would say probably month and a half. I don't remember the exact time frame I was at Fort Valley State, but it was a very good good experience, um, good learning, learning opportunity for me, um, to be there. And, uh, that was the beginning of me, I guess, even thinking that being a president was a possibility, but I really didn't think that it was, I, I saw, I, what I saw at that point was, um, you know, kind of a pitch hitter, right. (laughs) Go in, right make sure that things keep running on the track mm-hmm. and don't fall off the track right. uh, and the train's running on time right. and, and then give the, turn the train over. Yeah. You obviously did a pretty good job because they asked you to do it again, right? Yeah. At yeah. least, it, it, at least twice more, yeah, right. Twice Including more. Savannah state. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so chancellor Huckabee asked me again, um, several, a couple of months later, um, to do it again, and that was for a longer stint, but about the you know the same type of parameter that um, it was interim new interim president was coming in. They were looking for someone to be there long term while they um, while they did a search. I was not going to be there for the entire search, and at, you know at the time for my real job, we only had three attorneys mm-hmm. for the entire system. Um, and I told you a lot of the institutions don't have their own lawyers. So um, my job was to be legal advisor for the board, but also for the institutions. Uh, we worked with the those lawyers on campuses that have lawyers, but also primary legal advisor for those institutions that didn't have lawyers, which oftentimes included Savannah State, oftentimes included um, Armstrong State. Um, and and uh, across the board, you know, definitely schools like Georgia Southwestern, mm-hmm. South Georgia State College, those schools have never had lawyers on staff. And so, you know, on a daily basis, you were quite busy throughout. Right. And so right. it, um, when you have one lawyer out of the office for a long period, right. it definitely yeah. causes a problem in, in the office. Doing another full-time job because this year at, you're at Albany or right. Albany, I guess, depends on where you're from in Georgia, how you pronounce it. Oh, so I'm from South Georgia. Well, I'm sorry. I call it lower middle. I'm Albany, Georgia. Al- is, is how I Albany. Yeah. Albany. Okay. My so that's the third is, way to pronounce it. Yeah, All right. Albany. Albany. <laughs> My mother is an alum of Albany state and um, having, so I spent a lot of time there uh, as a child. Mm-hmm. Uh, she also was, she received her master's in, I guess, some further degree from um, Fort Valley State as well. Mm-hmm. So my mom attended all the public HBCUs in the state except Savannah State, state University. Yeah. 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 We interrupt the Difference Maker interview with Savannah State University's Kimberly Bauer Washington to tell you about the Difference Makers presenting sponsor and a real Difference Maker in our community, the Savannah Economic Development Authority. You may have seen recently where a highly respected trade journal named the Savannah area the number one locale for economic development in the country among like-sized markets. The standing is a credit to the folks at CETA who have and are pushing to make Savannah a great place to work and live. CETA is committed to creating, growing, and attracting jobs and investment in the Savannah region. Learn more about the Savannah Economic Development Authority and what they do in the Savannah community by visiting CETA.org. Now, back to the discussion with Kimberly Bauer Washington. 
you, you mentioned, you know, being a pinch hitter. Yeah. Uh, you get into Savannah State, a lot of things happen, the pandemic and everything else. When did you decide, all right, I, I got a little bit firm of grasp here. I've got my own vision. I'm going to apply. I'm going to chase the, the permanent job. I will say that I probably um, that was probably around December of 2020 ish okay. in the university. So when I came, you know, it's I knew Cheryl, Dr. Cheryl Dozier mm-hmm. quite well. You know, I knew her when she was at University of Georgia. Right. I working in the system office, we worked together. Um, on various things when she was here. And so had a a relationship with her, knew the university from a legal standpoint, anyway, Mm -hmm. um, quite well when I arrived, but learned a lot more um, upon coming here. Had a fairly good fall 2019. Uh, There were some issues, we were able to address those issues um, right away and it, it was, Felt that we were moving things along. Right. And then came spring right. 2020. Yeah. You know, um, COVID kind of uh, changed things um, 100%. And the students, of course, we had to, had to pivot and students left. We were trying to work with them to get them off campus in a safe manner. They were on spring break, generally. Mm-hmm. First decision that they were not, they had to leave for spring break. I, I remember all the university system presidents got a call from the chancellor. We were on, this was pre-Zoom call. Right, right. We were on a, a conference call. Right. And, um, and, and we were told that, okay, so Basically, um, for the next two weeks, we're going to be kind of closing. And so everybody needs to leave. And I'm like, this was a Thursday evening. Every, that's easy for us is what mm-hmm. I was thinking. Mm-hmm. Again, recognize this is my first spring break here. Right. Um, it's, like, it's easy for us because spring break begins tomorrow. So when they leave for spring break, that'll be they it. They just don't come back. And, and right. as soon as I got off the call and I started talking to some of our team members, they're like, our students generally stay here for spring break. I'm like, what? (laughs) You know, that changed things. And so it's it's interesting because, you know, even though you work in higher education until you know an institution and what happens at that institution, you really don't know how to make decisions for it. Mm -hmm. And so that was even a learning opportunity because I was like, okay, some of these presidents are having problems because their spring break doesn't start till the next week. Mm-hmm. We're in a good place. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to do A, B, C, and D. And I realized um, as soon as I had that first meeting with my team here that um, I was quite, quite wrong on that. Um, so we made the decision to, um, as to how to communicate it to the students, which of course they were not happy Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what was going on in Savannah at that time. Right. It was, it was, um, not Mardi Gras, my gosh, wrong, wrong St. Patrick's, <laughs> Patrick's Day. Right. Um, and for St. Patrick's Day here is, is huge. It is Mardi Gras. And, yeah, it's Mardi Gras. Mm-hmm. And so, which means that all of our, a lot of our students would stay around mm-hmm. to do that. And I had not necessarily anticipated that the campus wouldn't clear out like most campuses do for spring break, but mm. should have recognized we're in the hostess city. Yeah. So you come, you, you want to stay. Yeah. And their so, spring, their friends are coming to spring break. Right event. Here. Yeah. Exactly. And I didn't recognize that because that was new mm-hmm. and uninformed about that. Um, and so, but that was, it, it that was an interesting time. Um, but they they left general we got everybody off you know we have um several students that are um part of the they're homeless students and so they are here with us for dumb, generally all the time mm-hmm. and so we had to make um make provisions for those students and make sure that we had staff mm-hmm. on campus for that for those students but generally those two weeks um, 
we were kind of away. And then that were during those two weeks that we were moving to online. And so whereas the students hadn't taken their items, we now right. needed to get them back so they could to get clear, clear out their residence halls and things because we were basically it was summer move out mm-hmm. in March. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that became the next the next task. So we um, went through a whole lot of different things. And honestly, I think that we we handle things very well. We're a small community, mm-hmm. which is good. Um because it allows us to do things differently and uh, in a lot of respects and sometimes be able to make decisions that can help um, help our students differently than you can when you're in a larger community, you have to think about so many different. Um, and so we were able to help the students um, in their individual needs mm-hmm. during that time frame, able to make individual decisions oftentimes. And so um, that was beneficial and um, I was proud as to how we handle that. And I'm sure that there are a lot of students, staff, faculty who say something differently, but right. uh, given what we were faced with, I was uh, proud as to how, how we handle. We've got volunteers out. We've created a triage um, out by the stadium so the students could come and check in because, of course, COVID was new to us. We didn't really right. know much at right. that point, but what we did know is that you needed social distancing. Mm-hmm. And so we didn't want people just come to campus and get your stuff and leave because right. then you're having so much crossover. So we had to create plans as to which group should come when, where the mm-hmm. rooms were and all that. And trying to coordinate that really quickly mm-hmm. was difficult because that had not been how move in or move out had been handled previously. Right. Um, and it's like, come, get your stuff, leave. Mm-hmm. And um, but and we gave them two-hour windows to do that. And we tried to make it as user-friendly as possible, but we were kind of on a mission, mm-hmm. and it worked. Right. So managing all of that, you're, you're kind of becoming closer and more connected and more. And, and honestly, feeling that this is something that um, – something that I can do. Mm-hmm. And because being a president oftentimes is about making good decisions and making the best out of the bad, bad situations. Right. And um, what I never, I never would have thought that would be my <laughs> a strong suit, but I did recognize that in some respects that that is what I do really well. Um I can analyze the situation and see what we need to do. And hopefully there are some other people there to, so that we right. can help get it done. But, you know, you need, you need people to give you information. You need people to give that information too. And so when you have a team um, that things can work very smoothly. And what I saw is that I, I can lead a team quite well in this type of an environment. I knew that I could lead a legal team. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, right. I, I, knew, I knew that about myself, but this was a, a different type of venture and it wasn't just things that I knew about mm-hmm. um, working in higher education for 20 plus years, well versed in a lot of the areas, mm-hmm. um, student related, faculty related, but there's a whole lot of other things that happen in a university setting right. um, that I was not as well versed mm-hmm. with and it had to become, and I was like, okay, but we're learning yeah. and we're doing, and we're making decisions that are, as, as I keep telling our team now, human. Mm-hmm. I want us to be human. Um, when we're thinking about our policies, our procedures, our, um, for our students, staff, and faculty, to be human. Uh, sometimes you have to be rigid, but there are other times that you can make decisions that are really um, are helping our community mm-hmm. and are not just, you know, one size fits all. Right. Um, and again, we're small enough to do that kind of thing. And so what I saw was opportunity mm-hmm. for us to uh, make a difference for a lot of students here and thought that I might be the right person. Yeah. Um, to help lead this institution into yeah. its next phase. And it's interesting you, you talk about that because when you were named president, I, I'm not going to lie, I was surprised, not because of you, but, and I'm sure you're aware of this, is uh, there was a, a general feeling at Savannah State that the university system of Georgia, the Board of Regents, tended to kind of push leaders down their throats. Yeah. 
And, and that goes back, I think, to when Dr. Dozier came on and it was a changeover and people over there not feeling like they were involved in the process. With this process, you ultimately got hired. They did include a lot of community okay. people. And I talked to a lot of those community people about it. And I'm kind of like, that kind of seemed like a different than what you were saying. And they said, but when we sat down and we and obviously we knew her when we sat down with her and we, as we went through the process and went through the process the way it was supposed to be, it became very clear to us that she was the right person for the job. So whether she was an interim here or, or what have you, it, it kind of went out the window. So, so I, um, I will tell you that it was a very uh, interesting process. Um, I did go through the search process just like mm-hmm. any other candidate would. It was not in a, appointed a direct appointment. It was um, a 100% valid um, search process. I I sweated, uh, prayed, uh, just like any other candidate candidate would. But one of the, there are several misconceptions about the process, I think. Um, And having worked with the university system for all the years, you know, I I know how it it works. Mm -hmm. And I will say this one, this search process had more, more of the public um, input, input right. than is than has been the norm in the university system for other presidencies over the last, I'm going to call it 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't speak to how it was right. done um, prior to that, but over the last 10 years, I've seen many presidential searches and, you know, you have the search committee that's engaged, but there's so much secrecy and privacy. And the reason for the secrecy and privacy is if, if um, you have a person that's serving at University of Tulane, mm-hmm. Tulane University. Mm-hmm. Um, I was trying to make up an institution. That didn't <laughs> you you made up one. <laughs> but if you're serving there and you're applying for presidency here at Savannah State University, you don't want your home yeah. institution to know because then that causes problems for you there and so right. forth. And that's the reason that the university system does the secrecy. In this instance, because um, I will say the board heard the community here at Savannah State say that they wanted to have um, input, mm-hmm. they gave more input. Um, I, rem- I remember being surprised throughout the process as to various things, very com- various components that were added that were not the norm. Yeah. And now as we come out of COVID and, and people are returning, getting ready to return to school, you have just a, a, the job market has never been better. Right. Uh, when you look at from an enrollment standpoint, from a, a standpoint of of where do we go in terms of, uh, in short term, in terms of education, what do you, what do you see? Well, I will tell you that a couple of things are weighing against higher education right now. And you just mentioned them when the job market is good, Mm -hmm. people don't go to school. Um, They go to work. In a recession, school school goes up. (laughs) When when, uh, job market is bad, then people go, go to school. Um, And so, and then the other thing you also mentioned, the birth rates, um, you know, it's fully expected over the next year, next five to 10 years, that the birth rates, we're going to reap what we <laughs> reap uh, the birth rates from 18 yeah. years ago. Reap what we 18, didn't. So exactly. Yeah. And so we are, um, we're experiencing that now there are fewer students mm-hmm going to college because there are fewer students. Right. Uh, right. And so that's something that we're, we're going to have to deal with. But the, what we're working on, we want, stu- we want the community to recognize that education provides a better living opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so whether you have a job or not, Mm-hmm. Getting an education can will help you as an individual going forward. Get, you know, you're learning uh, um, about cultures. You're mm-hmm. learning about yourself. You're, you're, it's always an opportunity. And it prepares you to be able to move up in whatever you're doing. Maybe you're doing uh, good things now, but could you be in a better position to take care of your family? And we can help the students get to that point by um, with our programs. You have entrepreneurship uh, program that is really taking off in our college of business. Mm -hmm. And we are really excited about that. Um, The 
opportunities for students to come in, even if you're an older student, mm-hmm. a non-traditional, you've been working in a field for 20 years and right. you're stagnant. Um, coming in and getting some expertise uh, can help you uh, improve your your possibilities for your family and for your future. We're looking for ways to make changes at the institution that so that we can perhaps create more generational wealth mm-hmm. and um, changing some of our programs. Um, again, looking at what's happened over the last couple of years mm-hmm. and seeing how we need to better change our programs to uh, prepare students for different fields. One of the things that we are looking at now is, um, or I would like for us to look at, is public health. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that we saw over the past couple of years, year and a half, I guess now, yeah. year and a half. Seems like forever, yeah. a year and a half. Yeah. Is you can re- you'll recall how African Americans suffered differently mm-hmm. early on in the process with COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whether that was due to our higher rate of uh, heart disease, diabetes, mm-hmm. uh, hypertension. Mm-hmm. I think having more African-Americans in the field of public health mm-hmm. can help um, determine what um, policies and procedures may need to be put in place when you are dealing with something like COVID mm-hmm. um, so that those those matters are brought up. Having cultural diversity uh, in any workforce will can only help. But I think we definitely saw that in the field of public health mm-hmm. in this uh, past year. Education, we have an education program, um, but it's a small education program. Uh, we are looking over the coming years to increase our um, offerings in the field of education. So we're uh, working on that. We have dedicated, we have an interim interim uh, dean over in the college who is an alum mm-hmm. and also a program coordinator who they work tirelessly uh, for the college. They are, they like to say that they're small but mighty and boy, are mm-hmm. they right. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how they accomplish with their small numbers, They the small number of faculty, how they accomplish all the things that they do. <laughs> Again, you are listening to a conversation with SSU President Kimberly Bauer Washington. While she takes a short break, I have a call to action for you. Subscribe to savannahnow.com. Our website is the best place to keep up with community news, sports, and yes, opinion makers. And right now, you can get six months access for $6. I'm no mathematician, but that works out to $1 a month. I don't even have to use my smartphone calculator for that one. It's a pretty good deal. Go to savannahnow.com or download our app and see our product for yourself. Then hit the subscribe button to get full access. Now, back to the Difference Makers interview. So let's connect Let's connect some of these programs back to enrollment. Obviously, that's that's how you can market yourself as, your, as the strength of your programs and growth of your programs. Is there anything else on the marketing side for enrollment or is it just COVID has disrupted everything to the point we've got to just kind of take a step back and see how, see where the interest is, see how everybody reacts? Well, you know, COVID, of course, has affected everything, but um, at least prior to this week, um, um, students and families were looking forward to, I think, getting back Mm -hmm. to norm. um, We have... We have a wait list for our housing. Okay. Uh, now, part of that is we have a housing project going on, on that will initiate on campus during fall semester. And so we can't use. Take some of those um, rooms out. Yeah, some of those rooms are being taken out of the, it's the apartments. It's where the upperclassmen live. And so that's causing quite a bit of angst right. on campus. Um, but generally, people want to come back. Online mm. classes are everyone's they're over it. They, you know, that's not what they want. They want the activities being at an HBCU. There are a lot of experiences that our students over the last year didn't get to have. Mm -hmm. And they're returning uh, with energy and wanting to have those. And it's not just football games. It's Mm -hmm. Greek life. Mm -hmm. It's the social activities working in the community. Mm -hmm. Um, We have a strong program of, um, 
service with the community and our students participate and get quote unquote stripes, right. uh, tiger stripes for participating in community service. It's hard to do community service when you can't That's um, right. interact with others. Yeah. And so getting our tigers back into the community is one of the things that I'm looking back, looking forward to, but I think that they are too. And so somewhat of a sense of normalcy, but um, need these, uh, need our students, staff and faculty to get their vaccinations. Mm-hmm. Um, and also to be still be a little bit cautious when you're in very public settings. If you don't know that you're with people that are vaccinated, make sure that you're protecting yourself. Want them to protect themselves over the next three weeks before they return uh, mm-hmm. and uh, go ahead and get vaccinated. And we've got vaccinations on campus. We've opened those up to our families as well. Um, Last week, we announced to the staff and faculty that if they have family members who haven't been vaccinated, they can come to our campus and, uh, and do that as well. It's not just for our community now, because we're trying to make sure that when our, fam- our families go home to their family, mm-hmm. that um, they're also protected. Because yeah. the breakthrough um, seems to be quite real. We've had a couple of, uh, have a couple of friends who've had um, breakthrough cases around the country. And so with the Delta, right. Mm -hmm. Right. I want to go, I want to go deeper on vaccine in a minute, but before we close out the other conversation, I want to say that I'm with you. I'm not buying the whole idea of a year away. They see they can do it online. They're never coming back Uh, to me. And and granted, I spent five years on, you know, in college and had a great five years. (laughs) uh, But for me, the college experience was more was much more about what I learned outside the classroom than inside the classroom. You you learn how to be an adult. You learn how to be independent. You learn how to be part of a community. And especially I don't want to say especially at Savannah State, but it's it's always been very striking to me at Savannah State how close knit and how tight and how strong that community is. And I have a feeling that once, as you said, people are eager to get back out. Yeah. And once that momentum starts to go again, that that's going to behoove and benefit Savannah State going forward. We're very hopeful that um, that that's going, going to happen. I know a lot of people are still hesitant mm-hmm. about returning to the mainstream of life, um, particularly with the Delta variant being, being in existence now. But um yeah, college is not just about what you learn in the classroom. It is, you're, you know, you're educating. It's an opportunity for the whole, the total person to be educated. You learn, if you're living on campus, how to live with others. Maybe you haven't ever had to do that in your household. You're an only child or everyone has separate rooms, separate bathrooms. Well, you got to learn how to coexist, which is something that takes you far in life because you're going to need that. Yes. Very few of us get to just say, I want to do this and I'm only going to do this. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. Right. Um, You have to learn how to get along with others and being a roommate helps with that. Um, You have to have to learn how to interact with others outside those that you know, you know, and doing classroom activities outside the class mm-hmm. helps you that group activities. When you're going in the cafeteria and the, it's all crowded and there's no place to sit, you got to make new friends. That's right. <laughs> you yeah. know, you got to socialization. You've got to learn how to do all those things that will help you mm-hmm. in your future. Yeah, responsibility and, you, and accountability. And res- definitely. Wow. Definitely. If you want to have have, um, if you want to participate in various activities, then yes, you have to show responsibility. Mm-hmm. You want, you, you have to be a good teammate without even be, even if whether you're on a team or not, mm-hmm. you're always on a team because you're coexisting with others in our campus community. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, I've told every person, this is before becoming a university president, um, Having a student live on campus is definitely a good thing. My uh, have two daughters, and it's not even an issue as to whether uh, they should live at home and go to school. My husband and I started this conversation probably 15 years ago with 
him thinking, okay, I was at uni- I was working at University of Georgia, like, of course, they'll just go here and live here with us, you mm-hmm. know, so we've got them till they are 22. Right. I'm like, no, right. they'll have to leave. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they're, wherever they are, that's not, wherever we are is not where they can go to school because they need, we need them to get out of the nest. They can live on campus, sure, but they can't live at home mm-hmm. uh, with us. And so you're, you're, you're learning how to wash your own clothes. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of those things, I mean, you, that's a small thing, mm-hmm. but I, I'm it can sure be a big a thing if you don't parents, know. <laughs> right, a whole lot of parents this week are thinking, wait a minute, Johnny's going to uh, college in two weeks. Uh, does he know that he can't wash his red socks with his white socks? Do you mm-hmm. know, you, those conversations are being had because no one will be there to tell you. Right. And so you need to think about that. Lock your door. Um, Things that you think we know. But as parents, you're there watching and you're telling them all the time what they need to do. And now they get to go out and see whether they they heard you. And if they didn't hear or if they kind of didn't listen, they may be reminded really soon because they're going to have an opportunity to put put those things in into practice. And um, I like to say that it's going to college is kind of uh, adulting with training wheels. That's right. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's an opportunity for you to live uh, as an adult, but you know, you've, you're not, you might teeter, mm-hmm. but that you're not going to fall. Right. Uh, you got to go to class. You got to get your work and everything, but you can make some minimal mistakes and still be okay. Yeah. You, a um, closed, uh, you're in yeah. a closed environment. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, evictions and stuff like that, that would happen mm-hmm. if you forgot to pay. You're, you know, you're getting that notice from us that, Hey, this is, you have to do this. Someone's telling you these things. It's not like being out on your own right. and, and getting um, getting the hard life lessons. You get soft life life lessons. That's right. Got to take care of things, but uh, soft life lessons. Right. Uh, so as, as we wrap up here, I wanted to, to talk a little bit about HBCUs and not just Fanta State, but more broadly where they fit. Of course, uh, the election last year with Kamala Harris being an HBCU grad, I think has really upped the profile uh, there's a lot of talk in Congress about making sure HBCUs have better funding or more funding or, or a larger share of funding. As the president of an HBCU now, where are HBCUs? Where can they go? Where should they go? What is your whole take on, on where they fit in higher education? So I think, um, of course, you know, the HBCUs began out of the need because um students of color did not have an opportunity to go to other institutions. Um, Our students of color are going wherever they want to go at this juncture. However, choosing to come to an HBCU, uh, the choice has to do with wanting to have a different experience, wanting to have a cultural experience, wanting to be um, be in an environment that is Um, accepting Mm -hmm. of you and Mm -hmm. also honoring of you. Mm -hmm. Um, I've said to our alums since I've arrived that I wish I had attended an HBCU. I did for law school. I did not Mm -hmm. for undergrad. Mm -hmm. And law school is different. Uh, I I did not get that cultural experience (laughs) during law school. But um, as a as an undergrad, I didn't I did not feel that I could do anything. Mm-hmm. I did not feel that I um, I, I didn't have a mentor mm-hmm. to, uh, other than my family mm-hmm. to help um, help move my trajectory. Mm-hmm. And overwhelmingly, that's the kind of thing that happens at an HBCU. Mm-hmm. You are seeing people who are like you, oftentimes. Um, not that everyone is of, you know, one race, color, color yeah, national yeah. origin. Yeah, it doesn't, that to, doesn't define you, right. Yeah, but you're seeing people that um, have value, see value in you, and they are um, trying to help elevate you. And that's the kind of thing that happens at an HBCU that I didn't personally experience. 
Hmm. And that's the kind of thing that I think that's why HBCUs uh, will continue to be needed mm-hmm. and have a wonderful future uh, in the, the state's higher education. The United States, I mean, not just the state All of right. Georgia. Right. Um, graduates of HBCUs are, I don't know if there's a study, but mm-hmm. I'm based on what I see, mm-hmm. their confidence level mm-hmm. is um, much higher. Mm-hmm. And there's a reason for that mm-hmm. um, because they are taught that they can do um, and there are not limitations. Right. And that is very valuable. Uh, so that in and of itself is a reason for our students. And if you look at leaders around, just like um, our current vice president, mm-hmm. um, can do any, anything. Right. Um, and they believe it's not just that you can do anything. You believe that you can do anything. And that's half the battle. Mm. There's a tremendous amount of pride mm-hmm. amongst HBCU alumni. At the same time, smaller in numbers, uh, wealth generation is not what it should be, which results in endowments being smaller, which creates funding problems for HBCUs. Is there an easy answer? I say the easy answer is for more HBCUs um, to have um, programs that can create generational wealth mm-hmm. um, and to for those opportunities to be broader um, across the country. The, our students, our alumni are, you're, you're right, they're amazing givers. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you're, if you're a billionaire, your yeah. giving is very different uh, yeah. than if you're a big thousand. checks can be, yeah. can be struck. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, it's, it's amazing. Our numbers have increased exponentially with our alumni giving. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it is uh, in speaking with our uh, advancement team in our alumni affairs person, the work that's going on with our alumni and the programs that they are initiating themselves. Clyde Newton was our uh, alumni president last year and he began programs our 130th anniversary of the university since our beginning in 1890 and so mm-hmm. the he began our program uh, 130,000 in 130 days mm-hmm. and 130,000 was reached like That's really great. quickly yeah uh, very quickly and right. you know they more than doubled um, mm. what he was he was trying to do. Historically, that has not been the case, mm-hmm. but um, giving has taken a nice uptick. And it's not, one of the things that they're doing now is it's not the dollar amount. It's just give, right. give what you can. Right. Um, for, quantity. Yeah, it's quantity. Mm-hmm. And we have more individual mm-hmm. givers um, than, than we've had historically and our numbers are uh, are up mm-hmm. um, with that can't speak to how that plays into um, into the pub what's happening at other HBCUs right but it has been uh, heartwarming to see so many um, foundations reaching right. out to public HBCUs and private HBCUs um, to give to make life-changing gifts. We um, have not been the recipient yet of those life-changing gifts, but I, I feel that we are nicely positioned to receive that in the future. And um, just last week, we um, had a contact from some foundation um, that's anonymous um, that wants to talk about giving. And I think if we get the first gift, it's not going to be one of those um special numbers that you mm-hmm. come to hear about in the media lately, but, but it it's, builds. but yeah, it builds. It, right. it builds. Right. And so we're very happy to be thought, to be thought of, um, and that something that's going to help, help our students right away. And that is also just a, an amazing win. Yeah. Um, and so we'll see, we'll find out next week yeah. whether uh, that comes to fruition, but our, as soon as we got the contact, our team got together, 
put together a nice proposal so that we can hopefully receive the scholarship dollars that the donor wants our students to have. Yeah. So so that's good. But we are looking for more funding opportunities and hopeful that some of the big corporations, big foundations, Mm. individual givers Mm -hmm. um, keep Savannah State on their minds and recognize that um, our motto of you can get anywhere from here is absolutely Mm. true, but our students oftentimes need that's right. Help. Yes. And, yeah. And, and I think, you know, you hear about one donor at Morehouse basically saying, I'm going to cover every member of this graduating class's student debt. And it's, oh, that sounds good. But then people don't think of it beyond that. And, and I'm probably going to butcher this, but I, but I know that Savannah State has, in terms of, of raising money, endowment kind of idea, the short-term goal is just to, to, to raise some money to help kids that run a couple hundred dollars short of yeah. tuition and they're not finishing school because they're, right. they're falling this a little bit short. And you think about, okay, a couple hundred dollars, you're not talking about huge money no. getting from donors, but it's, it's not there. It's getting there now. Yeah. Because of that, we're able to help with gap funding. Mm-hmm. One of the things that happened with Savannah state a few years ago is, um, and this cr- helped with the, or I'm sorry, hurt the enrollment mm-hmm. problem. Um, the students can't carry a balance. Mm, okay. um, so, you know, you start classes, you have a finite time that you have to wipe out your balance, uh, whether that balance be $10,000 or $2. Right. You cannot be a student if you have, if you don't have a zero balance. Um, the schools are not allowed to carry debt as a public institution in, in the state of Georgia. And so, that funding that you just mentioned is absolutely key because um, we can look at our numbers of what our, what we project our enrollment to be. But oftentimes what happens is we're having to drop students after the first week of classes because they didn't, they, they didn't pay. They had a five, you know, started with a um, $8,000 balance and it's down to 500, but it doesn't matter that if they have a balance, then they have to, um, disenrolled and the funding that we get from our donors helps tremendously with that um you know getting doing the gap funding and so forth and sometimes um i know even sometimes we're able to help everyone that has that balance of five thousand or less. Right. I'm sorry, I said five thousand. Never have we been able to help everybody <laughs> that has five thousand less. But these students that have uh, five hundred or less, sometimes depending on what the pot of money is that we have available, it's one hundred or less. Right. It might be two fifty or less. You just yeah. you just never know. And so uh, students can't depend that it's going to happen. But when when the funding is there, then that's um, the kind of thing that we are able to do. The other thing is if you if you have a um, balance going into the new semester, you can't actually even enroll. Okay. You can't register. Okay. And so we're able to make some changes um, that um, due to our HER funding this year. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to be making an announcement um, in short order. Uh, about some assistance that we we have that can assist um, our students in that front. Yeah. yeah, with all due respect to Georgia Southern and SCAD, when I think of Savannah's college, it is Savannah State. So. Well, thank you. And you should, yeah. because we are Savannah's oldest mm-hmm. college. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's dating back, as I stated, to 1890. So we are mm-hmm. Savannah's university. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for, for taking the time. And I apologize. I've probably kept you longer than, than you wanted, but it was great to, great to hear about, about you and about your plans and about Savannah State and uh, all the best as you go into what should be a challenging, but I'm sure uh, an enjoyable school year. I expect that it will be very rewarding. And thank you, Adam, for giving me the opportunity. It's always good to see you. That's all for this episode of The Difference Makers. Thanks to Savannah State University's Kimberly Bauer Washington for being our latest difference maker. Thanks also to our presenting sponsor, the Savannah Economic Development Authority.
Tap into Difference Makers archives anytime on your favorite podcast app to hear interviews with more of Savannah's community leaders, such as Chatham Emergency Management Agency's Chelsea Sawyer, Savannah Police Chief Roy Minter, and Bishop Stephen Parks of the Roman Catholic Diocese of Savannah. Difference Makers is a production of the Savannah Morning News and savannahnow.com. On behalf of myself and producer Zach Dennis, thank you for listening.